Andrew Rappaport's Rap Report is a podcast providing biblical interpretations and applications. It is a ministry of striving for eternity and part of the Christian podcast community. We provide a biblical view of cultural events, discuss how to apply God's word to the Christian life, address issues that concern the church, and we even take some time to offer a correct understanding of those commonly misinterpreted passages of scripture. You will hear from great guests like Justin Peters, Todd Friel, Jay Warren Wallace, and Gabe Hughes. Andrew has the Rap Report Daily, which is a two-minute Monday through Friday podcast, and then the longer Rap Report podcast for more content. Subscribe to both today by searching for Rap Report on any podcast app, spelled R-A-P-P Report, or click the podcast link at strivingforeternity.org. Welcome to Thoroughly Equipped, a podcast for women where we compare the popular women's ministry teachings, books, conferences, Bible studies, etc. to scripture. Our focus is 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hello ladies and welcome back to another episode of Thoroughly Equipped. So glad you could join me. If you are new to this podcast, welcome. This season we have been looking at Jenny Allen's very popular women's discipleship ministry, IF. At this time I'm taking a break to spend more time on some things in our home and a homeschooling ministry that I am part of in Southern Jersey. I am still working diligently on part four of our critique. This portion of the critique takes a lot more study and research than what I typically do for the show. In this part, I am looking at the ministry as a whole. I'm looking at the other ministries that are promoted through IF. I'm looking at the studies that are promoted as quote-unquote discipleship tools. I'm looking at the teachings presented, studying the history behind these teachings, and comparing them to scripture. For example, at the moment, I am going through Jenny Allen's If Equip series titled Enjoying Jesus, in which the speakers teach and encourage what is called spiritual disciplines, or in other terms, spiritual formation, as God's means of sanctifying his people. Disciplines such as solitude, giving, silence, meditation, etc. So, one, I'm looking into scripture and what it says about these quote-unquote disciplines. Two, I'm looking at the teachers who teach on spiritual disciplines, such as Richard Foster and Dallas Willard, whose teachings are used in the If Equipped study. I'm reading their books on the teachings and comparing them to scripture as well. Point being, it's a lot of work, and the more I have dived into this ministry, the more problematic and questionable teachings I come across. Anyways, while I'm working on all of that, I thought I would share with you a workshop I presented recently at a homeschooling conference I spoke at back in the beginning of August. TE's last episode was the first workshop I presented titled thinking biblically about education. And this episode is the second workshop titled Wisdom, the Goal of Biblical Education. And so without further ado, here is my second presentation. May it bless you and bring glory to God. Hello and welcome to the workshop, uh, Training Up Our Children in Wisdom, the Goal of Biblical Education. If you didn't attend my last workshop, I will gladly introduce myself. Um, My name is Melissa Lex. I am wife to David Lex, mother of two teenagers whom we homeschool. I currently uh, volunteer as head administrator of the Liberty Education and Resource Network, a co-op ministry of Faith Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Elmer. I am also producer and host of the podcast Thoroughly Equipped a show for women centered on 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
Now, in my last workshop on biblical education, I mentioned how this verse has really become the foundation for all I do. This verse tells us that all of Scripture thoroughly equips us for every good work, not an adequate equipping or just some equipping, but perfectly or complete equipping, as some translations render the word, and not just for some good works or even certain good works, but every good work, which not only includes your good work in the training up of your children, but also that good work your child is called to, their vocations as obedient children and students and whatever else God calls them to do in this world. In biblical education, I presented to you the contrast between the world's idea and the goal of uh, and its goal of education, and God's idea and goal of education. I made a case for why the world's goal for education is starkly different from God's goal, and why we should think biblically about education. If you are unable to attend that workshop, you can listen to a recording of it at the Thoroughly Equipped Woman website at ttew.org. But my main point in that workshop was to encourage you and the knowledge that God is sovereign over your homeschool, your family life, and your child's education, and through his providence will direct your children to the vocations in which they will serve him and work out his will. And while it is good to gather for your children subjects, textbooks, and all sorts of educational materials, Ultimately, biblical education is training them up to seek after the kingdom of God and whatever God calls them to. As Jesus informs his disciples that one does not need to worry about food or clothing and other material things, but to seek after his kingdom and God in his providence will provide all those things. And this workshop is going to tackle what seeking after the kingdom of God, what that is, how do we instill this in our children, and what does this mean? I want to make the case that one who is actively seeking after the kingdom of God is not merely asking Jesus into your heart, it is not merely performing the act of going to church, nor is it just any service given to one's local church, but it is, as the text says, a seeking after a kingdom or a rule of life in a seeking after righteousness, the act of accomplishing that rule. Both the seeking of the kingdom and the acting out of this righteousness is wisdom. And I pose to you that wisdom is the goal of biblical education. Since it is true that the scriptures thoroughly equip God's children for every good work, we should therefore not only look to it to equip us to train our children, but point our children to it to see God's kingdom. The scriptures are a glorious thing. A human being can spend their whole lifetime diving into its depths and never reach the surface of this challenger deep. Now that's for any oceanographers out there. In this glorious book, wisdom is a highly regarded subject. The word wise is used 269 times, and the word wisdom is used 234 times. Most of you have probably heard that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge, and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Proverbs 1, 1-9 If you have been a Christian for any decent length of time, you have probably studied Proverbs and understand that it is known as wisdom literature, created for the purpose of instructing Solomon's son in wisdom, the wisdom of the wisest king in all of history, and yet God has so graciously give it, given it by his providence and preservation to his common people as well. Just think on this. 
of all the knowledge a king must learn, economics, social structures, law and justice, combat and war, etc. Wisdom is that rare jewel that Solomon desired his son, the future king of Israel, that he receive. He understand that he understood that wisdom's fruit brought success in any and all endeavors. By this I do not mean the world's understanding of success, not even your or my understanding of success, but the accomplishment of God's will in all things. What God decides is success. That we trust in the Lord with all our heart and do not lean on our own understanding, or any man's understanding for that matter, that in all our ways we acknowledge him and he will make straight our paths, that we be not wise in our own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 3, 5-7 We often think of the Old Testament, specifically the Proverbs, when we want to understand wisdom. But I want to direct you to the Apostle Paul, who in writing to a very wayward church in, the, in Corinth, reminds them of the foolishness of this world and contrasts it with the power and wisdom that is found in God. Paul, in the beginning of his letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, writes to address the divisions that sprang up within that church, brought about by the claims of individuals being discipled or trained and taught by certain apostles and teachers within the church. Before Paul addresses the problem with the thinking behind these divisions, he reminds them of the power that is the wisdom of God, the gospel, and that wisdom is not attained by the learning and educated among human society, but is revealed to those the world calls fools by the Spirit of God. It is at chapter 1, verse 17 that I wish to start. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were made powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible wor words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things... 
God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, here is where Paul will address the problem with the divisions that people had caused, the sectarianism within the church. Sectarianism is usually associated with sects of a political party or religion and does truly divide. But what Paul is having to address here is the fleshly desire to think one is more special, more noble, more educated, or just of plain more importance because of whose teaching or training one has been brought up in. Now go back to 1 Corinthians 3, 1, and this is what he states. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace Of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. That was 1 Corinthians 3, 1-15. Just as certain people in the early church in Corinth would boast of who they followed, who taught them, or who educated them in the faith, we tend to do this in education as well. I went to so-and-so college, or my child went to so-and-so college. We used so-and-so curriculum, etc. Relying on an institution, form of education, or type of curriculum to prove that one is well-educated or wise. This is a, a different form of sectarianism. Institutionalized educational sectarianism, but sectarianism nonetheless. Paul corrects this mindset by describing how it is God who causes the growth of his church and his people. These men, or in our case, these ways of being educated, these curriculums or these institutions of higher education, are servants or tools by which God in his providence gives the growth. Yes, God uses men who plant the seeds and some who water the seeds, but it is God who grows the individual and who causes the whole field, the church, to grow. Paul is not just talking about planting the gospel among God's people. This is the life and growth of Christians here. It starts with the gospel, and by God's grace in the gospel, produces sanctification in an individual. This includes education, and all along the journey, or growth, is the vine that we grow into, wisdom. 
God's institution of education is the family, using us to present the foundation of Christ to our children and build them up with work that survives through the day on the foundation, Christ. So how do we train up our children into wisdom? What do we build with? Now, that was a large passage of scripture talking about God's wisdom and contrasting it to man's wisdom. There's so much to glean from each verse in this passage, but for this workshop, I want to just look back at a couple of points in this passage that can give us a general overview of implementing biblical education in our homes to train up our children in wisdom. One, let us teach them about God. Bring them to know God and start with the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.21 stated, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Teach them that God created all things. God created them, this world, the cosmos, all of it. He's the ultimate authority over all things and rules over it in justice and righteousness. Teach them that because of God's ultimate authority and righteousness, justice will be executed. All sinners will fall under his judgment. While the fear taught about in the verse in Proverbs is connected to a healthy respect, that healthy respect is also in regards to the truth, that God is to be greatly feared by sinners. Understanding this, knowing this, is a necessary beginning to the education of our children, that God is sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, in all control. All these things brought to our attention and our children's attention rightly will prepare the foundation for one to receive Christ and his work, and it guides us into his word for wisdom in training our children. While we must start with cultivating a fear of God in ourselves and in our children, we also teach that God is good. What he made was good. And though through Adam's sin, we all have a sinful nature and are born by nature children of wrath, dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 1-3, God is good. In his goodness and for our good, God in eternity planned our salvation from the curse of sin and death, Romans 5, 12-21. From slavery to our flesh, Romans 6, 18-20, 8-9-11, and from the wrath of God to come, Romans 5, 9, 8-1-4. Teach them that this is God's ultimate act of love, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans 8, 1-4 This is the gospel, and it is this folly that we preach to our children that saves those who will believe. 2. Teach them about Christ the God-man who fulfilled all righteousness, paid the penalty for our sins, and was raised again for our justification. Back to 1 Corinthians 1, Paul states at verse 30, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Teach them that Christ crucified is the best knowledge. He has become wisdom to us. I want to dive into this point a bit further. If we truly grasp that in him is all wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, we can rest assured that if we train up our children to know and love Christ, they will do God's will, and in doing God's will, will be successful by God's standards, not our standard, and not this world's standard, but God's, and that is all that matters. George Whitfield, 
in his commentary on Paul's proclamation of 1 Corinthians 2 2, first lays out what is meant by not knowing anything save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Second, gives reasons why every Christian, and I believe every Christian parent, should not only know but teach their children to know Christ crucified above all other knowledge. And thirdly, Mr. Whitfield gives an exhortation to put this determination into practice. It is a brilliant commentary, in my opinion, and I wish to share some of it with you. Quote, 1 Corinthians 2, 2. I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. By which word, know, we are not to understand a bare historical knowledge, for to know that Christ was crucified by his enemies at Jerusalem in this manner only will do us no more service than to know that Caesar was butchered by his friends at Rome. But the word know means to know so as to approve of him, as when Christ says, Verily, I know you not. I know you not so as to approve of you. It signifies to know him, so as to embrace him in all his offices, to take him to be our prophet, priest, and king. Now, my side note here. A prophet presented truth, information that was true. This is wisdom and knowledge acquired. To be a, a priest is to be one that legislates morality, instructs the people, people on how they should walk, and to be king is to execute law and justice. This covers the whole sphere of human life. But back to George Whitfield. To take him to be our prophet, priest, and king, so as to give up ourselves wholly to be instructed, or educated, one could say, saved and governed by him. It is, It implies an experimental knowledge of his crucifixion, so as to feel the power of it and to be crucified unto the world, as the apostle explains himself in the epistle to the Philippians, where he says, I count all things but dung and dross that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This knowledge the apostle was so swallowed up in that he was determined not to know anything else. He was resolved to make that his only study, the governing principle of his life, the point and end in which all his thoughts, words, and actions should center. Secondly, I pass on to give some reasons why every Christian should, with the apostle, determine not to know anything save Jesus Christ and him crucified. First, without this, our persons will not be accepted in the sight of God. This, and consequently this only, is life eternal to know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. As also St. Peter says, there is now no other name given under heaven whereby we can be saved but that of Jesus Christ. Some, indeed, may please themselves in knowing the world. Others boast themselves in the knowledge of a multitude of languages. But could we speak with the tongue of men and angels, or did we know the number of the stars and could call them all by names, yet without this experimental knowledge of Jesus Christ and him crucified, it would profit us nothing. The former, indeed, may procure us a little honor, which cometh of man, but the latter only can render us acceptable in the sight of God, for if we are ignorant of Christ, God will be to us a consuming fire. As the meanest Christian, if he knows but this, though he know nothing else, will be accepted. So the greatest master in Israel, the most letter-learned teacher, without this will be rejected. His philosophy is mere nonsense, his wisdom mere foolishness in the sight of God. The author of the word now before us was a remarkable instance of this. Never, perhaps, was a greater scholar in all the world calls fine learning than he, for he was bred up at the feet of Gamaliel and profited in the knowledge of books as well as in the Jewish religion above many of his equals as appears by the language, rhetoric, and spirit of his writings. And yet, when he came to know what it was to be a Christian, he counted all things but lost, so he might win Christ. And though he was now at Corinth, that seat of polite learning, yet he was absolutely determined not to know anything or to make nothing his study but what taught him to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. Hence then appears the folly of those who spent their whole lives in heaping up other knowledge, and instead of searching the scriptures which testify of Jesus Christ and are alone able to make them wise unto salvation, disquiet themselves in a pursuit after the knowledge of such things as when known 
concerned them no more than to know that a bird dropped a feather upon one of the Pyrian mountains. Hence it is that so many who profess themselves wise, because they can dispute of the cause and effects, the moral fitness and unfitness of things, appear mere fools in the things of God, so that when you come to converse with them about the great work of redemption wrought out for us by Jesus Christ, and of his being a propitiation for our sins, a fulfiller of the covenant of works, and a principle of new life to our souls, they are quite ignorant of the whole matter, and prove to a demonstration that, with all their learning, they know nothing yet as they ought to know." But alas, how it must surprise a man when the Most High is about to take away his soul to think that he has passed for a wise man and a learned disputer of this world, and yet is left destitute of that knowledge which alone can make him appear with boldness before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Well might the Apostle, in a holy triumph, cry out, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? For God will then make foolish the wisdom of this world, and bring to naught the wisdom of those who were so knowing in their own eyes. I have made this digression from the main point before us, not to condemn or decry human literature, but to show that it ought to be used only in subordination to divine, and that a Christian, if the Holy Spirit guided the pen of the apostle when he wrote this epistle, ought to study no books, but such as lead him to a further knowledge of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And there is the more reason for this, because of the great mischief the contrary practice has done to the church of God. For what was it but this learning, or rather this ignorance, that kept so many of the scribes and Pharisees from the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? And what is it but this human wisdom, this science false so-called that blinds the understanding and corrupts the hearts of so many modern unbelievers and makes them unwilling to submit to the righteousness which is of God by faith in Jesus Christ. End quote. As George Whitfield has so beautifully expressed, let the main focus of our homeschooling be on that best knowledge by which all other knowledge and understanding we can gather is secondary. May we know nothing among our children, but Christ and him crucified. 3. This same Holy Spirit that guided the pen of the apostle, as Whitfield describes, is in each of God's children, guiding them in truth and wisdom in all that they do, and so this is the third thing we should be teaching our ourselves and our children. Teach them about the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 11-10 stated this, These things God had re has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. It is by this Holy Spirit that one is brought to the fear of God. The same Spirit that brings us to repentance and trust in Christ guides you in training your children through wisdom to wisdom. And if we ourselves are dependent on the Holy Spirit, we therefore train our children to depend on the Spirit as well. Proverbs 3, 1-6 states, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make, your, make straight your paths. We often lean on our own understanding to make our paths straight. We turn to the world's understanding of success of what it means to prosper and to be a productive human in society. But the Lord calls us to trust in him with all our heart, leaning not on our own understanding or the world's understanding, but his truth, enlightened to us by the Holy Spirit and given to us in Scripture. Scripture. Scripture is God's textbook on wisdom. 
It is God's very words, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that not only you and I are equipped to train our children in wisdom, a glorious good work, but it equips our children to be sanctified and walk in wisdom. Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer these words, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake. I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. John seventeen fourteen to 19. And so, number four is that we should also teach our children about the scriptures. Back to 1 Corinthians 2, 12 to 13, which stated, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart these in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. These things that the Spirit had freely given to Paul, he imparts to us in words. And we have not only what was given to him, but all the other writers of Scripture, words written down for our benefit and not taught to them by human wisdom, but by the Spirit. As Christians, most of us understand that the scriptures are different from any other book. Most of us would claim that it holds a certain amount of authority in our lives. For our American evangelical church culture of today, the scriptures have become merely a guidebook to help us prosper in our purpose. But in actuality, the scriptures are much more than that. There are seven key elements about scripture that the majority of our church culture largely ignores. These seven key elements are not only a defense for why the scriptures are God's textbook on wisdom, but also why scripture is the only textbook on God's wisdom. These elements are what make up what theologians call the doctrine of scripture. The first element is one we hear about often, but the word itself is easily misunderstood because of our modern context, and that is that the scriptures are inspired. This is not what we typically mean by inspired. It does not mean as we might use it today, where one may see a sunset and be inspired to recreate it or even create something new. Now, inspired under the doctrine of scripture means that all the words of scripture are God's very words. God uses means to accomplish his will. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture comes from one's own interpretation For no such prophecy was ever brought forth by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.21 John Frame, from his book on uh, Systematic Theology, page 594, states that inspiration means that God takes words of human beings and makes them his own. It is a divine act creating an identity between a divine word and a human word. The second element is one we know quite well and hear people live uh, give lip service to, but will often live contrary to its teaching, and that is that the scriptures are authoritative. See, since scripture is God's very words, they then by nature are authoritative. The Westminster Confession of Faith states, The authority of the Holy Scripture, for which has ought to be believed and obeyed, depends not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof, and therefore it is to be received, because it is the word of God. John Frame comments on this by saying, Divine authorship is the ultimate reason why Scripture is authoritative. Its authority is absolute because God's authority is absolute, and scripture is his personal words to us. End quote. The Doctrine of the Word of God, page 165. The third element is again rooted in the nature or character of God, and is that scripture is infallible or inerrant. 
God who cannot lie cannot err either. Psalms 119, 43, 142, 151, 160. Inerrancy traditionally holds that scripture is free from error, or as the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy puts it, quote, free from all falsehood, fraud, or deceit, end quote. Informing our homeschoolers of this helps them cultivate trust in God's word. Jesus was very clear when he said that God's word is truth. John 17, 17. The fourth element is that the scriptures are clear, in brief, that Christians can make sense of them. The Westminster Confession of Faith in Article 6, Chapter 1 tackles the clarity of scripture this way. Quote, all things in scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Second Peter 3.16 Yet these, those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of scripture or other that not only the learned but the unlearned, in a due use of the ordinary means, may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. Psalms 119, 105, 130. The next two elements are closely related, and they are the sufficiency and necessity of Scripture. These two are lost elements in Christianity today, and I would say is the main cause for why we see large amounts of churches becoming more liberal. Necessity holds that the Bible is necessary for knowing the gospel, for maintaining spiritual life, and for knowing God's will, but is not necessary for knowing that God exists or for knowing something about God's character and moral laws. That was from Grudem's Systematic Theology, page 116. This differentiates between special and general revelation. Scripture alone provides special revelation, knowledge of God's will and salvation. Romans 10, 13-17 and Acts 4, 12. While sufficiency means, quote, Scripture contains all the divine words needed for any aspect of human life. End quote. John Frame, Systematic Theology. Again, 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 implies this. The Westminster divines explain with wonderful precision and nuance what sufficiency entails. Quote, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life, is either expressly set down in scripture, or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. Second Timothy three fifteen to seventeen, Galatians one eight to nine, Second Thessalonians two two. Nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word. John six forty five, First Corinthians two nine to twelve. End quote. This doctrine right here is where I can tell you with confidence that Scripture is all you need to train up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It is all you need to train up your children in the way he should walk. And by God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he will not depart from it. Whatever information your child receives in his or her homeschooling journey, whatever higher education he may receive for his future benefit, Whatever career path he chooses to walk will one day depart from him, either through forgetting um, information unused or an ending to the career. All the teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness and wisdom through God's textbook of Scripture will remain not only on the path they take on this side of death, but that same path that takes them on to eternity. The final element of the doctrine of Scripture is another truth of Scripture that has been lost to our modern ideals, and that is the efficacy of Scripture. Bruce P. Boggess, in an article titled, Living and Active, the Efficacy of Scripture in Contemporary Evangelical Theology, describes the efficacy of Scripture in this way. The biblical testimony to the efficacy of God's Word is clear. He not only speaks creation into existence and upholds the universe by the word of his power, Hebrews 1.3, but through the revealed word he promises and warns, blesses, 
and curses, commands and calls, commissions and ordains, discloses and exposes, heals and delivers, takes possession, controls the elements, casts out demons, condemns, forgives, and raises the dead. The efficacy of God's prophetic and apostolic word is not just displayed, but also explicitly asserted. The word that goes out from my mouth, God declares, shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Isaiah 55:11. The gospel, Paul asserts, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Romans 1:16. And the word of God is living and active. The author of Hebrew writes, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews 4.12-13. And so God, by the power of his word, not only works in us, sanctifying us by it, John 17.17, 17, but saves and sanctifies his children by it. The scriptures are so important to the life of a Christian Yet we spend so little time studying them ourselves to even be training our children up in them. Most of us, I think, would say one of our goals in homeschooling is to raise up children who can think critically and execute discernment. Do we think scripture can actually help our children accomplish this? I would argue that since God's word is truth, ultimately the study of it and the application of scripture to our lives results in discernment. And wisdom is the fruit of discernment. Scripture identifies what is good and evil. Discernment observes the good and evil in this wor world, and wisdom chooses the good. Scripture identifies truth and lie, or even the lie within a truth. Discernment observes it, and wisdom chooses, speaks, and contends for truth. Scripture identifies true justice, God's justice, not the world's justice. Discernment observes the difference, and wisdom chooses God's way, God's justice. Scripture tells us what is righteousness and what is sin. Discernment observes it within ourselves and others, and wisdom chooses righteousness. Scripture identifies who wisdom is. Discernment observes this individual, and wisdom chooses him, Christ. Finally, 1 Corinthians 2.16 states, But we have the mind of Christ. Ultimately, the wise son of Proverbs, the embodiment and manifestation of wisdom, is Christ, whom we are found in when we receive him by faith. We and our children are clothed in his wisdom, and in him we have the mind of Christ and have been given all the treasure in wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2, 3. But only if we and our children believe in Christ, only if we and our children trust in the gospel. Wisdom personified is Christ. He is all we need. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. 1 John 2, 27-28 as our children grow, if they have come to know Christ, if they know Christ as the best knowledge, he will be their teacher, his word will abide in them, and whatever career and life choices they make, Christ will light their path. They will have no better teacher. Thank you. So, ladies, 
what else can I say other than I pray that in Christ you know that there is all wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2, 3, that you are training your children up into this wisdom or that you are displaying this wisdom to all who come in contact with you. I mean, what a blessed truth. And we are, through our baptism, clothed in him, Galatians 3, 27. When we, by faith, abide in his word, we are his disciples, knowing the truth that sets us free, John 8, 31-32. Christ is our wisdom, 1 Corinthians 1, 30. And wisdom knows the truth, and the truth sets us free. And so that is what I pray for you, ladies, that you are in Christ, that you are in wisdom, that you are in his word. Ladies, if you are interested in the transcript for this episode, you can go to ttew.org. You can find other great resources, articles, blogs, and videos that may bless you in your Christian walk, as well as links to follow me on social media. If you wish to contact me, you can email me at thoroughlyequipped316 at gmail.com. Again, the website address is ttew.org. Thoroughly Equipped is part of Striving for Eternity's Christian podcast community. Striving for Eternity is a Christ-centered ministry focused on equipping people for eternity by assisting Christians to have an eternal perspective on life. They strive to bring evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and Christian living together for the purpose of eternal preparation by exalting God, edifying and equipping the saints, and evangelizing the lost. They provide speakers, online articles, online courses, books, podcasts, and other theological resources, all centered on God's Word. To find out more, go to strivingforeternity.org. And to listen to other podcasts, go to podcast.strivingforeternity.org. I pray that their resources bless you as they have blessed me, as we live our lives day by day, praising and glorifying God.